I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. month is it? Oh, it's Pride um, Month. What month is it? Um, it's Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Pride um, Month. Oh, yay, happy Pride. Yeah. Woo. All right. Woo. Yeah. Welcome to Pride at Bitches on Comics. Pride. Woo. Welcome. We talk to people. <laughs> we talk to people here. <laughs> Woo. Woo. We crushes a beer can. <laughs> High fives, bald eagle. Gets drunk because you're drinking vodka out of a water bottle <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning and it's flavored <laughs> vodka, which is always real dicey. You're just drinking like watermelon vodka or something. Oh, it's nine o'clock in the morning. So hot. Hottest day of the year. Ridiculously hot. Everybody is wearing no clothes, but for some reason you're wearing too much clothes. <laughs> And guess what? By the time 11 o'clock comes around, you're done. Happy Pride. That might not be everybody's experience, but it's going to be mine. <laughs> it's how I celebrate. Respect how I celebrate. <laughs> Thank you.
welcome to another episode of Bitches on Comics. I am your host, S.E. Fleenor. I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by our special guest host, the one, the only, Ayola Solaren. That was lovely. What a lovely, what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much, S.E. <laughs> So happy to have you here. And listeners, you'll remember Iola from episode 51, where we talked about Steven Universe. And I can't believe we're back today to talk about, like, I would definitely say a series that's in the sort of same family as Steven Universe. Very exciting. And Iola, you want to introduce our guest today? Yes. Uh, you know, the person of the hour for the show today is Hamish Steele, who is the creator of Dead End Paranormal Park that's coming out mid-June, you know, Pride Month. Um, he's also an animation director, graphic novelist, showrunner, you know, and a all-round wonderful person. Welcome to the podcast, Hamish. We are so excited to have you here today. Hello. <laughs> Yay! It's so exciting. Whoa. I mean, it's June 1st that we're recording and it's Pride Month when this is airing. And uh, also something that I've heard that's very cool that's coming up is that Dead End Paranormal Park is coming out. How are you feeling about the premiere, Hamish? Uh, uh, I actually had, a, <laughs> I had like a stress dream about it last night. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> But I have equal amounts of excitement dreams to balance that out. But it's been crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm talking finally to people who've watched it. We pitched it in 2019. I think I was developing it in 2018. And it's based on a short I made and graphic novels I made in 2014. And it's, it's like, I can't um, imagine a world where the show is actually out yet. Mm. So it just feels like... Um, June 16th is this kind of waterfall that I'm heading towards and I just hope there's a big luscious warm lake underneath rather than um, rocks and spikes yeah totally yeah that, that feels like big dead endia vibes to say spikes <laughs> you know well hey I will be in that pool that you're landing in cheering your name cheering Barney's name Pugsley's name Norma's Courtney's the whole crew because wow this series is awesome so to start, you know, we talked a little bit about your um, Dead Endia run on an episode of the podcast. Some a, a listener had asked a question about transmasculine representation in comics, and I was like, hello, Dead Endia, because I'm a huge fan. And so one of the things that I want to ask about is when you sort of transitioned Dead Endia from page to screen, and it moved from Dead Endia to Dead End Paranormal Park, what do you think is the biggest change that you made that you're really excited about for the animated series? Wow. Uh, nice use of the word transition, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, uh, a, it's, it's like a small difference that I think is really major is that in the books, our two lead characters, Barney and Norma, start the book and they're already kind of friends. Um, but they're sort of friends, but a bit um, antagonistic sometimes. I think the change we've made in the show is that they start the show more as strangers and you get to see their friendship kind of build on screen. And I think it happens really naturally. And um, the kind of version of the friendship you see in the first episode versus the last episode, it's kind of night and day. And it doesn't feel like it, it does, in my opinion, it feels really earned. Um, mm -hmm. So that's like a big, it, it came about because we, sort of realized that the show is about 
found family, which I know the mm-hmm. Fast and Furious films are also about, but... <laughs> More than one show can have a theme, I think. (laughs) And if we were going to tell that story, we needed to like start from the beginning. So Mm. that's a big change. Um, I've always described the show as like, if some other person came along and said, we're going to adapt your book, I probably would have said, stick to the very letter. But because I was doing it um, and I was collaborating for the first time properly on the story, I really wanted to be open to uh, change. So like Mm. episode one and chapter one of the books are pretty much the same. And then from episode two onwards, we hit a lot of the same marks, but um, we do go down a different route. We go, we we take the scenic route, let's say. Um, So I think it will be the fans of the books. I think it will be a satisfying adaptation, even if it's not, uh, word for word, you know, the exact same experience, but it allows both versions to kind of stand on their own, I think. Oh, I was just going to talk about, you know, like what are the benefits of having a writer's room? Because obviously you've been working on, um, you know, Dead Endia for so long, just you. And I guess the shift in animation is that it's you and like a bunch of other people as well. So what are the, what have been the benefits of kind of having a writer's room and having kind of a lot of collaborators on a project that has been so, um, so precious to you for so long it's um it's like it is precious and definitely you know you have that oh it's my baby feeling but it's like being in a room of the world's greatest teachers and nannies and you know all the people like to reject the collaboration to make your baby (laughs) is i'm gonna stop saying baby in a second (laughs) your thing as good as possible would be ridiculous i i was actually really concerned early on especially in the writer's room that because um and it doesn't happen very often you know the author of the book is also show running the adaptation right um and I, you know that I, I will just explain i i do think that was slightly earned because i've always had these kind of parallel careers i didn't get the job because i wrote the book i got the job because i was also an animation director and trying to pitch shows so um but I was really worried early on that everyone would think that I had this very uh, precious nature, I guess, or very, um, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be open to collaboration. But ultimately, I, I'm proud of the books. I'm, I'm very proud of um, them. But the first book in particular, it's still a, you know, a web comic I wrote on my own when I was 21, 22. And this is 10 years later and 10 years of experience and writing, training, and getting to work with other writers, but also other storyboard artists, other designers. Um, I would be a fool to not embrace the full potential of collaboration and hearing what the story meant to people and hearing criticisms of the story from them and hearing... um, how to make it the best version possible. I wouldn't want to, you know, watch the show in a few years time and think the only reason that something happens is because in the writer's room, I said, no, I like it when it happens in the book like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I, I think they like, I, you know, it's sort of the same answering the same thing again. I'm just like, I, I think both stand on their own. And one is me writing a book myself and like the books are kind of this first pass on like what the stories mean to me. And then the show is like what 
it means to others and what it means to us collectively. Um, yes. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, that must be such a different experience to, to bring a text, an idea, a story from your, your heart. And to some degrees, I, I think that's like what a lot of writers rooms are, but then to bring it, you know, one that you've realized on the page into a writer's room. That's really interesting. And I love that you, you've embraced that collaborative spirit, maybe having a little bit of a, a found family experience behind the page and screen. Um, you know, <laughs> something I wanted to talk about, because to me, I think it, it's so breathtaking on the page, on the screen, is the, the trans masculine representation. I'm a non-binary person and I, I feel very connected to Barney. And then also the chubby not trans mask representation. Now, you know, I'd probably call Barney fat. That's because I'm a fat person and I would call myself fat. But I, uh, you know, I use chubby because I don't know, some people don't like that. But I'm curious, you know, that chubby fat, however feels good to you, trans mask representation. Why is that what you wanted to bring to the page? And then what was so, what was important for you to make that transition again, but to the screen from the page in terms of, you know, person of size, trans mask rep? I'm like so happy you've asked this because no one else has. And it's wow. it's like one of the things I'm most passionate about. Um, I've got a lot of things to say, so I'm going to try and talk quickly. But Take your time, please. <laughs> uh, I'm fat. I, you know, I call Barney fat. When um, I created the character, part of uh, drawing him the way he is was... I just kind of wanted to draw a fat person like who got to wear the clothes that I wanted to wear mm. and got to do the sort of adventures I wanted to go on. Um, and do you know what? I like was genuinely scared we wouldn't be able to from a technical standpoint because the show is animated um, using these kind of rigged puppets in uh, uh, Toon Boom. And other shows that have used this technique are things like uh, Rick and Morty and a lot of shows where the art style, um, everyone has quite spindly limbs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I genuinely yeah. wondered if that's just kind of unconscious bias in the design department or you like technically physically could not make fat rigs. Um, and so it was one of the first things we talked about, like, so Barney is I'm going a little, maybe you weren't expecting the answer to be so technical, but Bear with me for a second. Um, in the show, we kind of had two kinds of rigged puppets. And one is the main characters, which are kind of bespoke made for them. And the other are background characters and characters who we, you know, we have a sort of base model for them. And then we change skin and hair color and, and, and facial features and stuff to kind of make generic background characters. And I remember like discussing that like, we need the budget to be made to make background characters as well as main characters in varying body shapes. Mm. Um, because I just didn't want either Barney to be alone in a world and be the only fat person or mm-hmm. not have any fat people at all. And definitely fat phobia and like fat phobic jokes are something that so many people, even the most well-meaning, the most, uh, people who would think that they're not, you know, phobic of anything, just subconsciously put in fat jokes or put in, I'd like every stage. And it's one of the things that we actually did bring up a few times when um, maybe people, people's training from other shows, they would like just subconsciously make Barney 
get stuck indoors or like be the one uh, running behind the rest of the crew and the most out of breath and all this stuff. And my kind of policy is that I'm okay with like fat jokes when Barney is saying them and it's not a, it's not about shame. It's kind of about matter of fact. Um, and he like knows he's fat and he has no problem with it. Um, that I'm sort of okay with, but I think jokes that like, you know, of all the characters, Barney's the only one that has any interest in sports. He's like into wrestling and, uh, I, I would describe him as confident compared to the other characters. Like he's fashionable to his own weird way. He like is really, um, comfortable in his own skin. It's not like, anyway, so yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this and no one's asked me about it, but like, it was extremely conscious and something that we talked about a lot because if we didn't talk about it, a lot of stuff would slip through kind of unconsciously. People would just mm-hmm. assume that, well, Barney's the fat character, so he should be the one that, you know, we write loads of jokes about him, like not being able to get up the stairs and stuff. And like, stairs are hard. They are. <laughs> it's funny when I do it. It's not funny when like another person, and they're like, clearly, I didn't want the world that Barney lives in to be fat phobic. Yeah. I think he can make jokes about his own expense, whatever. But like, yeah, sorry. I have a lot of thoughts on that. No, no sorries, please. That was amazing. That was everything that I would, I wouldn't wanted to hear, honestly, the technical, the emotional, the philosophical, because that did stand out to me. There, there aren't times, you know, even shows I love, comics I love, there are just these, this sort of unrelenting fat phobia that just like goes through every episode, every issue. And it's just like, Mm-hmm. Jeez, I just want to read a comic. I just want to watch a show. I don't think I need to be berated for being fat. <laughs> like, I already know I'm fat. Thanks. You know, <laughs> like, this is not that big of a deal. So it was so refreshing because it was so, I guess, nonchalant. The acceptance, the sort of, there's this one moment, I'm, I'm sure there were many, but um, I was finishing the episodes this morning and bawling my eyes out. And there was a, a moment where we see Norma and Barney in profile and I just saw his big round belly and I was like, thank the stars. Like I need to see this big fat belly that isn't, you know, explained away when he turns and looks at the camera straight on, right? Like he's still fat no matter what way you turn him, no matter what way you treat him. That's just part of who he is. And I and I love his physicality. Like when he uh, grabs that one demon and like, I can't remember the name of the move, but takes him over his back and slams him. And it's like so cute and and powerful and he's so physical. And I just... It makes me so happy to see him on the screen, and I'm so excited for all the kiddos and adults who are going to get to see that beautiful, fat, trans mask representation. So I'm glad you fought for it, and I think, yeah, it's you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. That's one of the things that I liked very much as well, like the imbuing of um, the wrestling side of Barney, like you said, Hamish. Like, he is a really physical guy. Like, he, he loves sports, and, you know, having a sport like wrestling, which so many, you know, I found so many queer people enjoy feels really um yeah maybe not forward thinking but um just uh very in tune with kind of like the queer people who are um you know who are who are living freely these days can you talk a bit more about kind of what wrestling like means to you and like how it came to be that that was something that's quite integral to the dead end story yeah it's interesting i mean it's um like half of the second book is kind of about uh, a demon wrestling league and i remember um i had the idea to do that 
I was like, I really want to draw like lots of demon wrestlers, but it'll just be like, maybe I'll make it a kind of one-off chapter or one-off issue. And then it just became more and more kind of thematic and more like the, like wrestling is so interesting in that it feels like this extremely masculine um, world, but it's theater and it's, um, you know, performance and people get to play characters and people get to go into the ring and wear a mask and then reveal themselves through their kind of persona. And I kept thinking more about, like originally it was just, I wanted to do a wrestling episode, but it is mentioned a bunch in the show and there is later on a wrestling episode and, and and more kind of themes around it that like our kind of backstory for Barney is that wrestling was like a huge uh sort of gender euphoria kind of reveal for him where you can be anyone in the ring and uh i just think i mean all of that aside it's also just really fun to draw and really fun to (laughs) such a fun world to explore um and i think also when you like really dig into wrestling wrestling like independent wrestling and and stuff, you do find a very queer world and fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like another thing is that I've always felt with this show, I really wanted, um, I really wanted kind of both there to be overt, clear representation, but I also wanted uh, it to be kind of queer in its bones and in its storytelling and sensibilities, that it wasn't just, we put a trans character in this show and he gets to have the normal story, the normal, um, you know, he gets to have what straight people have. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be, uh, I know I made the joke about Fast and Furious, but like, to me, found family is not just, cartoons are great because they're about people being friends. It's that like need to find people like yourself in a world that wasn't made for you mm-hmm. and to kind of cling to them. So for Barney, that's like wrestling (laughs) for some reason. Um, And I think for other characters, it's kind of part of, to get sort of more deep into it, it's part of the um, longer thematic idea of the show where what are demons other than people who have been demonized. Mm. So Mm. I think it's part of what our characters learn over the course of the show that the sort of demons they've been told to be scared of, maybe uh, they have a lot more in common with than uh, they realize. I went in a weird direction with that question, but Mm. (laughs) it's like like everything's sort of connected. Well, yeah. I mean, that's part of why it's such a resonant uh, series. And, and, you know, you said something that made me think of something you said earlier too, Hamish, where you were talking about how you didn't want Barney to be the only fat person on the screen. I also saw, you know, Barney is trans and a man and attracted to men. I don't think we've gone beyond that in terms of his label, at least on screen. And he's not the only queer person, though. And we see that around him. There's this flourishing queer life in horror, which horror love, queer people love horror for all kinds of reasons. They do. And I think it's so neat to see that flourishing in that backdrop. And again, you know, I know we don't have a ton of time. And again, there's so many layers, but I keep thinking of Dolly Parton too, being so important <laughs> to queer people. I think of you know, family being so important to queer people. I think of dogs being so important to queer people. <laughs> and, you know, and they're everywhere in the show. And I just think 
it's so exciting to see that. And I'm curious, you know, was your room really receptive to that? And then, you know, what were you, you know, maybe, maybe found families the answer and maybe, you know, demons are just people who've been demonized is the answer. But is there another piece of that puzzle of what you wanted to get across in terms of queerness? It's, it's so interesting because like some of it is super intentional and then some of it is you don't realize it until other people like you are, are telling me, you know, Dolly Parson is like, I just thought it was funny um, that they're in a kind of um, bizarro <laughs> Dollywood. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you do sort of link all those things. It's something you kind of realize over time and you, you can't escape it. This is just my storytelling sensibilities. I write like all of the stories I write are about like realizing things about the world aren't what you've been told and who the real enemies are. Um, and I think with horror as well, like there's this, there's the, the, you know, Halloween is when people get to dress up and, and be their real selves and things like that. Mm. Um, there's so much writing about monsters and how so many people feel connected more to the, uh, um, the monster in the horror horror movie or the queer coded villain. Oh, I am Courtney, by the way. Like I am Courtney yeah. through and through. So yeah, I get that. I think we're all Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. I so I love overt representation, but I also love messy subtextual like readings of things. And so our I wanted the show to have both. So a good example of this is in episode two. It's the episode where Barney says, I'm trans. Mm -hmm. But it's also the episode where Pugsley is dealing with the fact that what he thought, uh, he thought he had kind of unconditional support from Barney, but he didn't. And then Barney has to apologize and take him to his first parade. You know, that is the sort of like the queer subtext of the story that even though it's a story about a dog getting magic powers and learning how to talk and you know, how people treat him differently now, you know, there'll be people who just read it in that way. Um, and only Barney saying I'm trans will be the kind of, that's the queer representation. But for me, the queer representation is also just in the, the, in the storytelling, um, mm -hmm. the journeys these characters go on. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I'm just hoping that it like resonates. Like one of the things I've been saying quite a few times, uh, in these interviews is how, um, Barney is meant to be a everyman and an audience surrogate. And even though his, um, you know, his, his storyline may seem very specific to people or people will get like hear one sentence about the show and hear it's about a trans character and think like, Oh, that's not for me. Like what Barney's storyline is, is his parents don't have his back and he feels not listened to at home. So he hangs out with his friends and like, that should be relatable to everybody. Mm. Um, and I think like, I'm just, I'm hoping that people have enough um, em empathy and like to connect to characters that might on the surface seem very different to them. Um, because if they, if they allow themselves to, to connect with the characters on that level, it's like a really funny, exciting, you know, show about demons that just happens to have these characters in it. Um, so I don't know. I think a lot of, you know, people are, look for themselves in media and we get drawn to characters who are quite different to us because we have to, because there's nothing else out there. Mm. Um, so asking, you know, 
straight people <laughs> to <laughs> go through that same experience, like telling them to empathize with characters, which they might not think that they do empathize with um, is really important because I think so much of like the transphobia in the world is just based on the fear of the unknown. And the only trans people that a lot of people think they know are the scary version that transphobes are pushing, you know, in the media. I'm hoping that Barney can be for some people, you know, quote unquote, the first trans person they've ever met Mm. and maybe see things a little differently. Um, Maybe that's a a bit, a a lofty goal, but you think about these things, you know, sometimes when we write episodes, it's literally just, what's the funniest joke about a dog we can come up with? What's the funniest like demon thing we can think of? Or what's a scary demon things? And sometimes you have to, you, you zoom out and realize the kind of responsibility you're uh, playing with, I suppose. Mm. Um, I'm a bit of a rambler. So you'll have to like tell me we to love stop. It. We it's love great. Oh, um, I do have a question. I think um, you're talking about kind of Barney as this every man. And I think, you know, that narrative is something that really doesn't, um, that hasn't really, it's not really resonating right now. I think, a lot of the rhetoric, like you're saying, about trans people are very kind of negative and um, othering. Um, so I guess, you know, my question is, um, you know, just to touch on like the, you know, the importance of the show. But like, did you know, did you know that's what you were doing when you started in on the show? Or was it kind of something that occurred over time, essentially, that like, you know, this this is going to be quite pivotal in the world that we're living in? Um it's interesting because when I'm making a web, when I made the original web comic, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just uh, drawing the people I knew and the show, you know, the, the, the story is set quote unquote in the real world. And so I wanted to represent the real world that I knew. And I didn't think too much about making Barney trans. He just was in the web comics. And then when I made the book and then made the Netflix show, there was just this added, um, weight I guess and responsibility of knowing the audience will be bigger and so I didn't try not to think about it too much there's definitely like when we were pitching the show and developing it in 2018 2019 I kind of maybe naively hoped that by the time the show came out it um there'd be a lot more shows like it and the Mm. world would be a better more understanding place and I don't think that's the case and uh, while uh you know a lot of us have known that um the kind of transphobia in the world has been getting a lot more vocal, a lot more heated. Um, a lot of us have been seeing this for a long time. It was only as we were wrapping up the show that I really realized that the kind of world we were putting this out into um, was not necessarily in some ways a kinder place than when we pitched it. Mm. Um, so there's definitely things that like, you know, the the show, I the version of Dead End I would pitch today would probably be a little bit different um, because, and I think that, you know, the shows you're going to see in a couple of years time are the ones being pitched now. And the conversation's always changing. I'm so proud of the show. I don't think there's anything in it that's like out of line, but it's also sort of my hope that in 10 years time, people look at Dead End and think like, well, you know, that was okay for the time, but we have much better representation now. Mm. <laughs> um, we try to really avoid Barney being like it's a trans character 101 
He is. Yeah. Like, the hardest thing of writing Barney is to just try to write Barney and not try and write a trans character because we just wanted him to be real and him, him to like uh, get to make his own mistakes and it not be, oh, this is what the show's thinks of trans people. This is the one trans storyline. Um, because I genuinely thought there'd be more. I, I try, I don't know. I try not to think about it too much because I, it's, I've had some people say like, it's the first trans character in a like animated kids shows, like the main character. Isn't that great? And like my response is sometimes, no, that's really sad. You know, it's, it's sad that there are still so many firsts, I suppose, but I don't even know if this is the first. I just think, um, we never went into it like trying to pat our own backs or, or think too much about it as the, you know, again, as representation, we were just trying to write Barney and to, to everyone in the writer's room, Barney's everyone knows a Barney. Like this isn't an unusual, strange, uh, <laughs> unique person to queer people. I think he's very relatable and everyone, every time we talk to queer people, they're like, Oh, he's just like me. Or he's just like my friend. Or he's just like this. Um, so I don't know. I talked about the waterfall. I don't know what the reception's going to be like when it comes out. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of excitement and I'm seeing a lot of uh, love and loyalty. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm seeing anger and fear. Like Republican Party have like named it as a, as a dangerous show and things like that. So who knows what will happen? But I'm I'm very excited for people to get to know Barney is just like meet him on his terms and uh hopefully fall in love with him as just like a really fun character yeah he's he's a lovable guy and also you know there's a slew of like amazing characters around barney as well like norma is like autistic representation and um like you said you know the the demons as well i think having that kind of uh queer subtext that turns into text it's like that's something that queer people are used to from the horror films that they they would watch and um you know shows where they'd have very kind of minor representation so it, it also you know it feels like a homage to the new and also the old as well to you know really incorporate a lot of the queer experience I think it really permeates the show entirely and that's what makes it makes it so relatable and so lovable mm, thank you well Hamish, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an absolute blast. We are so grateful that you could fit us into your very busy day. And we're huge fans. We're going to be singing the, we're going to be marching in the Dead End Pride Parade. Um, I've been rewatching Buffy, so I was thinking about the Slayer Pride Parade that Joyce <laughs> references. Um, so, like, in my mind, it's like that. <laughs> Did you catch our Buffy star? Uh, I don't know if I did, but like, there are so <sighs> many genre references that I was just like, my mind was blown. If we, we'll have to have you back sometime just to talk about that. <laughs> well, again, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you, Hamish. This has been lovely. We'll talk soon. Have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. All right thank bye you, bye. LaMarco. Bye-bye. Well, hello, lovely bitches. <laughs> I had to call you that because people call us that in emails all the time. Yeah. And it's bold. It's bold, but I'm not saying I don't like it. I honestly really love it. I'm just like <laughs> cracking up every time I hear it. It's like whenever people introduce me as their official lesbian or something like that, I just start <laughs> dying. I'm like, I get that this is a drag, but it's a fun drag, right? Like, <laughs> resident <laughs> lesbian Sarah Century. <laughs> 
So hi, lovely bitches. We love you. Thank you for listening in. It means the world to us. If you want to support us, you know all this stuff you can do. You can rate and review. You can tell your friends about us. You can tell people you've never met. You can (laughs) high five strangers and be like, hey, wash your hands. Then go listen to Bitches on Comics. That'd be fantastic. One way you can help that maybe you haven't thought of, which seems impossible if you've been listening to the podcast, (laughs) is you can join us on Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's this really cool platform that allows independent creators to get sort of crowdfunded on a regular basis. Right now, we have wonderful followers. I don't know how many we have. It's around 40, I think. And it's so awesome to have 40. I remember whenever we first started, I was like, okay, the best I've done on a Patreon is like three. So like, let's see how this goes. So it's really nice to have 40. And people are in and out and stuff like that, which is how I am on Patreon as well. And I think it's kind of, uh, it's like good to, to keep the variety going, right? Do what's right for you. And if you've been a patron in the past, thank you so much. If you're a patron now, OMG, you're the best. Thank you for being here with us. If you got some extra bones rattling around in your pocket, I mean money, not actual bones. Although <laughs> send bones sell to a different, bones. <laughs> send bones to a different address. Um, <laughs> I'll give you that address if you email me. It's patreon.com slash bones. Um, if you... <laughs> So if you want to help us out not giving us bones, you can go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You can join us for as little as $2 a month or as much as you'd like. The cool thing about our Patreon is we decided we didn't care for the tiers. So it's really like what what works for you. How can you help us? How much can you help us at? Choose the amount that works for you and, and thank you for coming and joining us. Over on Patreon, we have tons of bonus content from comics coverage to TV and film coverage and everything that might be in between. I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure there's something. We also have discount codes that we share with you from all of our queer spec projects, including Decoded Pride and our secret upcoming projects. And as well as access to all of the existing bonus episodes. I think at this point we have over a hundred bonus episodes on our Patreon. And hey, word to the wise, you don't actually even have to be a patron to go listen to a bunch of them. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash bitches on comics. If you can join us for two bucks or more a month, OMG, please do. If you can't, Go listen to the free episodes. We want you to get the content. We have a good time talking about everything from Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn, Nicolas Cage. Don't ask questions. Just go listen. And we really appreciate you. Again, we're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Wow, Ayola, how cool was that interview with Hamish? Yeah, it was like, it's like really lovely to um, to be kind of separate from it, um, to hear him talk about it in such uh, such detail as well. Because I think, you know, as you know, as a friend and an artist and a creator that I admire, we have a lot of conversations about, you know, the show and the world at large and, you know, the comic sphere, animation sphere. But it's really great to kind of just like see him in this element of, this is this is a show I made. This is something that I really stand by that I've been working for and on for years. It's really lovely to hear him just like talk about it so, you know, confidently and charmingly because it's it's a great show and he, and there's such pride when he speaks about it and he sh- and he should have such pride because it's um it's really wonderful work. Completely agreed. I mean, there were so many insights there that that Hamish just shared that I was just like, "Damn, I hadn't thought about that. Damn, I hadn't thought about that. Damn, I hadn't thought about that." And yeah, it's it's I mean, Dead End Paranormal Park is awesome. You know, I got to see screeners. I finished it this morning before the interview because I was starting to fall asleep trying to finish it last night. And I was like, I will not sleep through a second of Pauline. I will not sleep through a second of Courtney. And I lost it this morning. It has such a good arc for the first season. The characters are so real, so interesting for all the reasons Hamish just shared. And, you know, I'm so pumped that we get to have you here for a little, like, extra behind-the-scenes sneak peek kind of yes, fun I could conversation. So thank you. Yes, give us the secrets. And then I just wanted to mention for you listeners, I had mentioned to Hamish that we talked about Dead Endia, his webcomic and then graphic novel that was the basis of the adaptation for Dead End. Um, and we did that on episode 124. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you go listen to that episode. It's a real good time. And we give you some recommendations for trans rep in comics. But yeah, I, well, I'm, you know, I'm just so excited that we, you know, obviously we're huge fans of you. You're the best. You know, you're funny. We are um, internet friends. I like to think that there's no greater intimacy than internet friends because you know, I don't have to actually look you in the eyes, so I'll just tell the truth. Yeah, there is no great intimacy. That's why I run from it, actually. Because um, there's no there's no place you're known more than online, and that's terrifying. <laughs> My favorite part of your online presence is your draft tweets that you share. They always make me just, like, die laughing. So funny. I think, you know, one day I'm like, someone will see these and be like, you're a ghastly person. And everyone's like, that's quite funny. And I'm like... <laughs> Okay, you know, this works for now. (laughs) Everyone's like, ghastly and delightful. So we'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, that's not quite the brand, but thank you. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not what I had in mind. The message has been Um, skewed. (laughs) You're like, I wanted leave me alone, not find me charming and try to be my friend. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. But I can't fix it. I can't fix it. It's it's gone too far. I'm in too deep. You're part of it now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, So, you know, today we're we're talking about Dead End, of course, and Dead Endia. And I wanted to know a little bit about, you know, you've been involved with the project for a while and you were involved with it as a a comic as well, right? Yes, that's true. 
I was the editor for the um, second volume of the series, Zelandia, uh, The Broken Halo. And it was one of my first forays into comic editing, uh, you know, a long form project. So Hamish was one of the first creators for a long form project that um, I started to collaborate with. And it was honestly, you know, I couldn't ask for anyone better to collaborate with because I think there's always some trepidation with, you know, working with someone new. Hamish hadn't necessarily worked with an, an editor prior because he'd been doing it as, you know, a web series before and he'd self-published it himself. Um, so it was kind of the first instance of having an editor on a new story. So he was, you know, creating the the second book. So it wasn't um, someone who was just kind of working on tweaks for content he already had. He was creating new content. But, you know, at the same time, it was new for him, but it was also new for me as well. So I think we we found a lot of camaraderie in, you know, being queer and like wanting to, um, you know, tell these kind of like beautiful, relatable stories like Hamish shared um, earlier um, about, you know, these everyday people and, you know, the hardships that they go through. And it's, you know, it's really, there's a lot that happens in that second book. And some of it is in, some of it's in the show um, in this season, like a little bit's in there and like some will come on for, um, you know, later on. But it's just kind of del- delving in a bit more into like, you know, right, you have kind of these these issues that happen, you know, as a queer person, you have like your family that you're having conflicts with, you have friends that you're having conflicts with. What happens next? Right. It's like, well, you know, the stories continue. There's there's always another day. There's always another struggle. But there's also another opportunity for love and for friendship and for and for found family, like Hamish was saying. A sophomore release of anything is always a bit... Um, you never know how it's going to be received, but it's always an opportunity to just, you know, delve a bit more and dig a little bit deeper into the stories and the, you know, the morals that you're already that you've already embedded in the in the first instance. So it's a really great way of, um, you know, you're talking about kind of building long lasting friendships and how that works, and then we were also doing that in real time as well. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So sort of creating that friendship while you're portraying it in a sense. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, how how do these how do these friends, you know, work when there's these kind of like external hardships going on, but also these kind of individual internal hardships going on. Um, you know, it's like you you don't really trust people. You're wondering kind of um who's on your side, what you know, what side should you be on? you know, who, whose morals are correct and whose, whose aren't. And I think, um, especially in like a, in a, in a queer community, I think that's, you know, that's a topic that that's coming up quite a lot in that, you know, there's, there's a lot of need for kind of moral absolutism. Um, and in some senses, I think that's correct. You know, it's like, there has to be some level of, um, you know, this, this isn't right for our community and this is right for our community. And that's, and that's a way to, you know, to safeguard the most vulnerable people of the community. I don't think it's necessarily that you're, um, you know, keeping people out is, you know, you're making sure that the most vulnerable are safe. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you have to also allow for complexities, you know, queer people aren't a monolith. Um, So really just kind of um, seeing how a community at large plays out the multifaceted natures of it. And at the same time, you know, us building this friendship as well around work, which is always an odd thing to um to to mix to mix with friendship, right? But I think you know we've done a really we've done a really good job at it. Good enough that you know Hamish has um allowed me to you know work, work on the show, which I'm so grateful for. It's been such a lovely opportunity to to work in production on the sh- on the show and uh, do you know some behind the scenes writing stuff. 
Um, and also, you know, we're quite frequent collaborators now, you know, Hamish did Crock and Roll and that's something I've worked on as well. Um, so it's, you know, that found and forged friendship has continued, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't ever just for the duration of one project. It's, um, you know, something that's really long lasting. And I think that's very indicative of the queer community at large. It's like these relationships, you know, last a while because, you know, you do, you do really need these people in your life. Mm. I love the way you put that found and forged. That's because that's, you know, I, I hadn't heard someone quite pair those terms and it, it is how it is, right? Like you don't just find your friends or find your family. You do, but then you, you build more upon that. And, and that's, that's integral to queerness, right? Is that we, we choose each other and, and we, we look out for each other. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think it's, it's the, it's the hard, it's the, it's the forging that makes it worth it because you know, you've done this. This is something you've created yourself. Like you said, it isn't just something you, you like stumble upon. You know, it's like it's something you're actively seeking and actively working on. And it's something that should be actively grown as well. And I think it's like, you know, you get in what you put out. If you really kind of imbue and like put into a community, you do reap the, you know, the benefits of that. You get people that are, that care for you, that want the best for you and want the best for other people, you know, as well. And it, it blooms and grows. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Mm, I agree. I agree. You know, I wanted, you know, you were talking about this kind of as related to your relationship with with Hamish and, and the depth of your friendship but I'd love to know more about like what was the experience for you moving from you know being a comics editor into that PA and like some TV writing role and you know what did you enjoy about the mix what was different what was like the learning curve like I'd love to hear any of that yeah so you know I started I think when when we when we did our episode I was a PA at the time a production assistant and then um, I became a production coordinator, so I had more, many more departments uh, to, uh, <laughs> to to stick my finger in. Um, and that was really fun. I think, you know, learning about the process as a whole was like so eye opening for me. It really is. Um, it's a huge machine and it and it takes every single person in it to make it work. I think it's like never it's, you know, it's not just one person. I think Hamish would also say the same. It isn't just one person that makes the machine run is every single person involved um, really makes it go. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's hard work. Um, and there's so many stages as well. So it was really eye opening for me to just, um, you know, witness that at work. Um, and it was great, really great just to like engage with so many wonderful artists. So, you know, I was very much in touch with the amazing background team, which was um, supervised by Melissa Malone and Adrian Cathy, um, the character design team who was manned by uh, Ryu Tinubu, um, the layout team who was manned by um, Ilaria Ponticelli uh, and Roman Salvini. And um, it was just really great to just see how, um, you know, so many experts can come together and collaborate on something and make something work. I think, you know, people talk a lot about there being, you know, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. But, you know, to have that many people involved and for people to go, um, oh, I'll help with that. And like, oh, that's something our department can do. It was really like wonderful. You know, uh, no one was really um, antagonistic or, you know, being like, oh, we're not going to uh, do that. Which I think is fair sometimes, you know, if, if, you, if you feel like your department's overrun and you don't want people to be um, overly worked. But I think, you know, the level of collaboration can be seen in, in the work um, in that lots of people were very willing to um to just lend a hand 
Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's hard work. Like um, Hamish was saying, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff with the animation um, working in Toon Boom. And I think a lot of a lot of it is, you know, pushing to see how far the tech can go um, and how far, um, you know, you, you know, you work with what you have, you work within your means. And a lot of it is kind of pushing, pushing the boundaries of that. And I think, you know, they did a really great job in just like pushing how far um, that animation could go. Um, and that was just like really, really great to see. And also, you know, the, you know, the production team that I worked with, the really like loving, caring people who, you know, really care about the work at large, but also really care about the people making the work. I think sometimes people go, oh, this is, you know, this great innovative, innovative show. And lots of people will be dying to see this. But, you know, there's also hundreds of people behind the scenes who are there to make it work. And I think, you know, the production department went a long way in um, trying to make these people feel accommodated and heard, um, especially during a pandemic as well. So it was, you know, a lot of it was remote working. Um, so really trying to keep tabs on schedules and how people are doing, um, you know, was hard. And I think, you know, there's always there's always room for criticism. I don't think anyone's absolute in the way they um, approach things, of course. And I think it's always good to kind of, you know, prod and poke at something. Um, so, um, so that kind of, you know, you allow, you allow that criticism to come through so you can learn for the next time. Um, but, you know, considering the circumstances, I think um, they did a really great job. Um, Jen Coatesworth, who was the, um, the producer on the show, uh, Ruth, who was the line producer and Mariam Anibaba, who was the, um, production manager just did a really great job in you know making people feel heard um and making sure things were running as smoothly as they could considering the world was kind of falling apart around everyone's ears yeah it was it seems like it's just been a wild time to be doing this work yes yeah wild time for animation at large kids animation especially um so it's it feels like a miracle that it's even kind of um being seen by people at all yeah i was that was my next question is like is it surreal does it feel weird to know that this thing you've been you know working on from volume two when it was a graphic novel up through ah it's a the series the fucking full first season is done and my eyeballs have looked at it like how does that feel for you having been so integral behind the scenes it, it is um it's surreal in the sense because because um, you spend so much time, you know, working on a show and you're kind of, you're looking at things in pieces. So you look at like the backgrounds and stuff or you look at the turnarounds for the characters and you look at the script and it's kind of, you're, you're seeing all of the parts of a whole. So it's really um, interesting to kind of see it all together. You're like, wow, okay, like these aren't just kind of little tiny, um, fr- like fragments that are displayed everywhere. It's It's a whole... It's a whole whole living, breathing thing that, that other people are engaging with. Um, but, you know, I feel so grateful that it's managed to um, to get a viewing to, you know, there's, there are quite a few shows recently that just haven't kind of got that end, you know, have been cut off at development. And, it, you know, the the length of a animation show from development to being released is so long and there's so many things that can happen in between. So I think it's it's it is surreal, but, you know, I think everyone's so grateful that it exists you know especially because you know of um the content of the show and especially because it was happening in the pandemic and especially because of you know all the kind of transphobic vitriol that's happening right now um 
it feels like it kind of really powered through despite so many things and um it, it feels like a like a small little like teeny tiny like light of hope considering you know there's so many kind of quite negative things happening right now yeah I, it does feel like a little ray of hope right like a that was something I loved about what Hamish said where it was like yes it's a story about a trans person but it's you know not a story about a trans person's journey with transness alone right like there's a piece of that but it really is this bigger story of like oh shit there are demons (laughs) (laughs) and like they're at this theme park (laughs) i can't i love it so much it's like if you had sat down and tried to think of a a premise that would appeal to me it's like hamish was just like here you go here is yeah and i'm like oh thank you so much i love it Yeah, you know, one of the things that Hamish talked about that I thought maybe we could talk about a little bit here is that that idea of the demons, right? Mm. Like it's it's really funny in the series. There's just like this cheeky way of like they talk about we can't run from your demons, and then Courtney will say something, or you can't hide from your demons, and Courtney will say something like, I don't care if you hide, I'll find you anyway. (laughs) Courtney says, I don't care if you hide, I'm sick of your face. I think (laughs) is actually what Courtney says. (laughs) Which like I died. I just, like, died laughing. I was like, Courtney's such a stone-cold bitch. I fucking love her. So, yeah, but, like, when we think about demons, and, you know, Hamish was starting to say, like, who are demons but demonized people? I'm curious, you know, for you, as you, you know, both as the editor in the comics, as you've been working behind the scenes here with this, with the series, what do you think of that theme? And, and I don't know, if there anything you wanted to add to it? I think what Hamish said is really true. It's like, what are demons but demonized people? I think you know, this idea of like, you're only ever being told one side of a story. Um, and you really need to kind of really kind of take, take the time and opportunity to hear, to hear other sides of it. Um, you know, specifically in terms of kind of like marginalized people, I think people kind of like people who are demonized are often kind of like downcast. And I think, you know, specifically, I don't, I don't want it to be kind of broad to be like, oh, you should like really delve into kind of, you know, incel rhetoric or whatever you know i'm specifically talking about um queer people marginalized like people of color um you know people who are the minority um and you know in in those kind of in those narratives i feel when they're told by people who aren't of that you know of of that representation it does mean that you you aren't getting um the the truth of the matter and like it feels very inauthentic so i think you know hamish is really correct in in saying that yeah, demons are kind of demonized people. And I think, you know, as we were talking about, like when you're mentioning horror films and it's like, that's like so prolific because you're really, you're seeing the most monstrous side of kind of, you know, they're often quite queer coded characters, you know, especially in kind of um, like older horror, like B movies and stuff, you know, and it's um, it's a testament to queer people that, you know, we, we managed to see the the joy and the innovation and the interest in characters that are depicted as very horrific and grotesque and malevolent seeing that and being like you know they've put this on me but I'm gonna take something from it you know I'm gonna I'm gonna spin it to my own to my own gains to to my own narrative in Dead End demons are just as much people as the humans you know, they have their own political issues. They have their own interpersonal things going on. So, you know, Norma, Barney. Their own game shows. Yeah, their own <laughs> game shows. You know, they have their, like, this entire world that they built for themselves 
um, again, like built for themselves, despite so much political things going on, they've managed to kind of, you know, forge a world where, you know, pun not intended, but you know, that they are demonized and they still manage to kind of thrive and create their own kind of content and, uh, you know, their own culture as well. Um, and it's like so important to the story because, you know, they're not there just to be, just to be the villains. I think, you know, there's, there's always complexity in, in characters. It's like, you can have a villain and you can have a hero, but you know, the hero is not always going to be a hundred percent good. And the villain's not always going to be a hundred percent bad. There are complexities in that. And that feels very kind of representative and mirroring of the real world. And I think the show goes a long way in showing that just because someone is demonized doesn't necessarily mean that that's the correct narrative because there's there's so much more to them um and i think you know yeah like as queer people who automatically identify with villains i think due to you know the the prevalence of them like in media and always being kind of represented as someone who's like malevolent or kind of sinister i think that feels like such like an an homage actually to lots of media who's kind of like had villains as queer coded it's like yeah they are but you know we're going a step further and delving into the complexities of them a bit more yeah and like honoring the why like why would someone seem villainous who's queer oh right because of the cis hetero patriarchy yes, right exactly. like it's not it i i really love that and i think I I'm, I'm I can't wait to rewatch Dead End again. The and second again, it premieres on the sixteenth, and again and again and again and again. Um, I really really love it because I think there's there's so much I'm gonna catch. You know, especially after this conversation, both with you and 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 with Hamish. You know, one of the things that that jumped out to me that I wanted to ask you about, which was is like this series feels like a genre nerd's heaven. I mean, there are references to the Westworld movie from the 70s. <laughs> there are references to Jurassic Park. There are references to Phantom of the Opera. There are references to Buffy. I mean, it's it's all of those things. And I'm curious for you, how did that feel to be participating in something so nerd heavy, right? It feels great. You know, I think, you know, right now is like, you know, the definitive age of the nerd. And as much as it comes with, <laughs> it, it is, you know, it's, I don't, it's, totally. I don't think anyone can say it's embarrassing now to be, you know, um, obsessed with uh, nerd stuff. Even, even if there's, you know, for one person who will be like, oh, that's really, you know, boring and lame. There's another person who's like, oh, this is a very incredible thing. And uh, I love it too. You know, there's so much like community around kind of uh, yeah. fandom. I think, you know, what's really great about the show is that, it does touch on these things without becoming, um, you know, uh, it doesn't need them. I think it's like, there's a, there's a joy in like paying homage to stuff and like, uh, giving, tipping a hat and giving a nod to things like Jurassic Park and like Buffy without it being like the, this stuff is like integral to this. It feels like really new and fresh. Um, cause you know, like, I think like right now there's a lot of stuff about, um, uh, you know, just IPs and nostalgia, I think, is quite oh, yeah. prevalent right now. And it feels like it's permeating every single bit of media. Everything. Everything. Right? Yeah. Oh. Remakes on remakes on remakes on right. reboot on reboots on, on reboot on top of that. And it's like spin-offs on <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like cameo after cameo over referencing to this film oh, and to yeah. this film. And you have to have watched these seven films to understand this one film. Um, which can be exhausting, I think. So it's nice, I think, you know, it's nice to go, to have something where you're like, ha, you know, I recognize that. And that feels like a really nice nod without it being like, this is actually not just the Easter egg. It's something very pivotal that you're going to have to remember for three more episodes for it to kind of pop back. Yes, yes. 
That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, you can enjoy it without the weight of um, having to hold on to that information for so you don't miss something later. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I really love that it, it references um, beloved stuff without um, feeling beholden to it. Yeah, it was, you know, that's such a great way of putting it because I did feel like it was very subtle, like even in the the musical episode. So in the musical episode, you know, my partner and I were watching it and and she was like, oh my God, that song is so good because it's such a reference to Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like Phantom of the Opera, but it does sound like Phantom of the Opera, but you wouldn't need to know that to enjoy it. Yes. Like I've never seen Phantom. You know, I know the jokes because it's a huge part because, of the genre. Yeah. <laughs> and I know like the references. Yes, because it's know, ridiculous. Mask, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And my partner's a big musical person. And so we had, a you know, two different reactions to that. Like it's even called the Phantom of the Theme Park, I think is the song. And I didn't even catch that it was Phantom of the Opera related. <laughs> You know, I was just like vibing off of some other reference I was catching. So I think that to me, those kinds of when shows can pull that off well, where it feels like a wink if you catch it, not like one of those overdramatic, like vamping winks. You know, it feels like a wink if you happen to notice it. Yeah, it really does give it such a fun, a fun aspect now i have to say hamish was saying that there was a buffy reference and i was i had to admit that like i hadn't caught it but do you know which one he was talking about he was talking about uh, the actor tommy lenk who is um oh in my buffy God, I love- do you know what do you know what character he plays in the show no he plays uh the game show host hox the demon oh my fucking god of course he does that's that's exactly who he is uh hot hot Hout's Castle, is that what it's called? Yeah. Hout's Castle. Um, oh, oh, that's so fun. I didn't catch that. That's amazing. Yeah. Tom Lank is like a genre lover. That bitch will be like in anything. In genre. anything and everything. And I'm glad. Which is good. And yeah, I'm exactly. So glad. Yeah. And, so, and Alan Cumming was in this in the yes, series. Like, I know that it was just star studded. Yeah, exactly. It was, I feel like it was a really good, like, great array of people. Angelica, Ross Israel, MJ Rodriguez. Oh, that's right. It's just like, just the... Just a great, lovely Coco Peru. Just like a lovely, wonderful, talented crew of people. Amazing, amazing. Well, you know, I I want to make sure. Like, is there anything else you want to talk about about uh, Dead? I'm sure there's a million things, but is there anything before we wrap up today that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you're like, oh, this is the thing that I think of when I think of Dead End. You know, I think maybe I, I touched on it before, but I think. Having a show of like you know this caliber um and this kind of um just a just a really kind of this beautiful show happening kind of in the in the u k and it being kind of this huge production, I think the crew just did a really incredible job. I think often you know when people have beloved shows or films, they always kind of go to a director or the showrunner um and I don't think Hamish would mind me saying that you know he's very much kind of the beloved brain by behind everything but like he was saying earlier collaboration is needed so much to make these things work and I think just you know the people at um Mystery Q which was the production company that made it really I think everyone kind of really put their heart and soul into it and you know that's what you see I think everyone was very dedicated to the show really excited about you know the characters and the story in the world that was being told and um yeah, I think you can just really see that in the show. Um, so I just, 
I really love that so many people um, got together, really got on board with the vision and were like, yeah, we're doing this. This is beautiful. And um, we're so excited to do it. Oh, and it's so good. It's so good. It is. It's, so quali- it's quality stuff. It's like great. At the end of it, you're like, oh, we made something good. Right. It's like, oh, it holds it's, up. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm so glad the experience was was fun, too, because I know sometimes uh, what people see can mask a nightmare behind. <laughs> but it same. sounds like this was actually really great. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I think it was, you know, um, really lovely. And just like having Hamish there to... Um, to talk to, I think, you know, he was always like available to to talk to her about decisions and um, talk about law and thought process behind this because everyone's coming at it from a slightly different angle as well. So it's always great to kind of get a creator input um, and also have him go, well, you can kind of, you can do your thing as well. It's like, this is my thought process behind this. But, um, you know, I also love to hear your interpretation about it. The entire thing felt like a an ongoing conversation. And and at the end of oh, it, neat. everyone wrote something down, and it and it just feels like a love letter that you know that everyone had a hand oh. in writing. Oh, I love that. That's like what you want to hear, right? Like that's what you want behind all the things that you love is just like more love. And so, like I'm like ride or die for Dead End Paranormal Paranormal Park. Like this is like this is my show now. I'm gonna be forcing it down people's throats, and they're gonna be glad I did. They're yeah. gonna be glad I did. They're gonna say thank say. you. And it's going to be garbled because like, you know it's going to be down Delicious. their throats. Thank you. <laughs> they won't be able to speak. <laughs> hey, it's very, very fitting with pride. Uh, <clears throat> <Yes>. So, <laughs> little dirty joke to end the up. Um, Ayola, oh my God, thank you, thank you for being, you know, a guest, being a great person, being like a friend. But thank you for being so willing to hop on. I sent you a DM, and I was like, "You want a guest host?" <laughs> Like, uh, okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> for knowing I'm the type of person to like, you know, half be eating pasta and be like, oh yeah, I will. Thank you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you've been a peach, of course. And if folks want to find you online, if you want them to, where can they learn more about you? I've got better over the years. So if you want to find me, you can. I'm not as um repulsed by the idea anymore. Um, but it's just you can find me, you can find me on Twitter. That's like the easiest place. Just my first name and last name. I was Lauren. Um, I'm often talking about uh, nothing of consequence, which I think is uh, good in this day and age. Yeah, we need a little more of that, don't we? Yeah. And uh, listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. And listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Hamish, you can follow Hamish at, at Hamish Steel on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to learn more about Dead End Paranormal Park, make sure to head over to Netflix on June 16th. All the episodes are coming out for the first season. Watch them up. Put them in your little eyes. Zoom, zoom, zoom. We want this to have another season and another season and another season and another season. Tell everyone. (laughs) And tell everyone. Anyone. Tell people who don't want to know. They will want to know. They just don't know it yet. Once you've told everyone, tell yourself again. And then watch it again. I'm just going to like put it I'm going to put it on for my dogs when I'm leaving. I'm going to be it. watching it all the time. There's a dog in it. All the dogs time. love other dogs. I know. I didn't get to talk about Pugsley enough, but, you know, the future, I think, holds more interviews. So uh, if you didn't catch any of those handles or the Netflix part, I think you know what Netflix is, likely listeners, but the handles will be in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, didn't have your pen out, go ahead and click the three dots that are somewhere 
near the title of the episode, and you'll be able to see all the show notes there. Go follow Iola. Go follow Hamish. And, you know, again, thank you so much for being here, Iola. Thanks to Hamish, even though Hamish isn't here at the moment. Thank you, Kate, for making us sound great. Thank you to Sarah and Monica. I know y'all couldn't be here, but y'all rule. And listeners, patrons, friends, we appreciate you, and you keep us going, even in the toughest of times. But it's Pride Month, so we're going to feel like it's not a tough time. It's a great time. It's a great time. We're having fun. Happy birthday, gays. <laughs> Happy birthday, gays. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.